All right. Well, Jeremy has chikud. It has uh, begun. Howie has barked. I also chikud, but I did it before we were even recording this time. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I had some regular old tap water before this. Ooh, flat. Good old <laughs> flat. So flat. Philadelphia water. Water. Philadelphia water. John. Flat water. The true yep. John. Sipping on some John over here in Philadelphia. Sipping on John and juice. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just watered down juice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm excited to announce going on the road with my new business. I know I haven't told you guys this before, but uh, I'll be recording the rest of my season five episodes, likely from like Taco Bell waiting rooms. I'm going to be traveling. What is a Taco Bell waiting room? Let's start there. The, you know, the... the, the Dining area, you know, whatever fast food places have good Wi-Fi, that's where I'll be doing my podcasting for the next year. <laughs> because I'll be traveling the country making custom beads for people. So if you're out there in America, just look for my tour bus coming soon to a town near you. You can't miss it. It's got our logo and catchphrase on the sign. The American bead. We bend them, shape them any way you want them. Uh... The people in the Taco Bell waiting room are groaning right now. <laughs> I really want to focus on that whole waiting room thing. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to that. <laughs> this is what I get for not completely writing out every little bit of my intro. When I have to make up something, my brain just like, nope, got nothing for you. Comic gold, though. <laughs> True. It's everything So yeah, custom us. beads coming to a town near you. Get ready. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, and, you know, you're taking off on the road, mm -hmm. and just in time for our 200th episode, this is our 200th real episode happening right Whoa. now. That's wow. an accomplishment. That's quite an accomplishment, and I think it's time we acknowledge some things around here and start calling the podcast... I'd buy that for a dollar featuring Jeremy Ruggles. <laughs> Man, I've got so many feelings about that. <laughs> Don't worry, it's a joke about the episode. Oh, okay, okay. You could have made that joke with our last episode as well. <laughs> uh oh, yeah, you're right. Laura Nero and LaBelle. Oh, I could have done it two weeks in a row, what was I? Yeah. Man. Yeah, could have milked it. <laughs> Well, I'm co-host Peter Cook, and I have to say, I'm just flabbergasted over here for multiple reasons. For one thing, how did I not know that Swedish hardcore punk band Refuse did a collaboration album with Canadian garage punk King Khan? And also, how can we feature 
a record like that on this podcast. It's I can't believe it's a cheapie. Peter, you are so frazzled right now. <laughs> I mean, He's it's freaking just freaking out. It's astounding that such a thing exists and we can feature it on the podcast. Refused and King Khan. He's like shaking. He's wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk about both of them. The dollar bins will never be the same after this. <laughs> it's the shape of dollar bins to come. Oh. <laughs> I'm on point, right? That's what we're here to talk about. Sean, do you want to let him yep, down? You are correct. hundred percent. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm ready to go then. Whenever you guys are. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, our first song off of the real album that we're talking about today, 1974's Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Oh. Rufusized. Oh, geez. I didn't look very closely. Yeah. Hate to burst that bubble there, buddy. But let's go ahead and listen to a song. You might like it. It's not refused, but you might like it. We're going to go with side A, track two, Somebody's Watching You. Somebody's watching me. You're not aware of your situation. You've wasted time with contemplation. Instead of trying to be so cool, my friend, understand this way you'll never win. You say it's dark, it's just before the dawn. To get discouraged if it takes too long. Common sense will take you right from wrong. just listening to that song on my way over to jeremy's to record this episode it was maybe the third time i had heard it this album is new to me and something occurred to me upon that third listen it's a really weird song <laughs> it, it, like if it wasn't so expertly played it would probably show more you, you almost don't notice it but it's actually a strange arrangement that they, they keep there's a lot of stops in there yeah. Yeah, I noticed that throughout this album. It is also a very new album to me. I'm a low information listener when it comes to Rufus or Shaka Khan, to be honest. And yeah, it's a lot of when 
I just presumed like, oh, it's going to be kind of like a hard funk thing. A lot of songs about like, I love you, baby. But that's not at Jeremy's all favorite. This is. Yeah. <laughs> he was excited for another I love you, baby record, as we all know. Yeah. But it's not that. It's like lyrically sophisticated. The arrangements mm-hmm. are bonkers and weird and there's up-tempo and down-tempo songs and spacey parts and the dynamic range is what was astounding to me listening to this yeah there's a lot going on we should state that shaka khan is often known as the queen of funk she can't be the queen of soul because that's obviously aretha franklin and Shaka would be the first to tell you that she's not trying to take that crown from Aretha. (laughs) But yeah, this is a very funky band. You know, they had hits and they were approachable and the music could be enjoyed by anybody, but they were funky and they were weird. And they made some incredible music, not to mention Shaka's prolific solo career after Rufus. Queen Khan. Wife, mm-hmm. of, wife of King Khan. <laughs> uh, and it, we should mention, before we get too far into things, that Shaka Khan was among the top four winners of our poll that we had on our I'd Buy That for a Dollar Facebook group during the season break, asking what you, the listeners, want to hear us talk about that we keep saying we need to cover. And, but you went with a, a Rufus and Shaka Khan album, Sean. Yeah, when I saw that Shaka was one of the winners, that was my immediate first pick for an artist that I had to cover because this is one of the rare artists that we get to feature on the show that one of us has actually seen in concert. That person being me. Ooh. Yeah, saw Shaka Khan of just a few years ago at the Pitchfork Festival. She was out there in support of the last record she made. That was her 12th solo studio album, Hello Happiness. It came out in, I think, 2019, which is pretty darn good record. Like, one of the best late period records of any of the artists that we've talked about. Shaka has remained consistent and interesting throughout her whole career. And I gotta say, live, absolutely incredible. Even, you know, she was in her late 60s when I saw her. The band was great. She sounded amazing, just absolutely slaying these songs. One of my favorite parts of the show, they did like this song with an extended middle part so that every individual member of her backing band could get a solo. And when it was all done, Shaka went up to the mic and was just like, yeah, we like to play that song so that everybody knows we're up here playing, but we ain't up here playing. (laughs) We're not playing. Yeah, they're Mm. not playing. Shaka didn't come to play. (laughs) So yeah, big favorite of mine. I love this artist. This is one of those artists where there is just a mountain of information about her. She's incredibly important and prolific and controversial and talented and inspiring in so many ways. So I, I feel just slightly nervous. I hope I can do this artist justice. But one of the things I was thinking about in figuring out what angle to take with how to talk about the great Shaka Khan And I I was kind of thinking, especially with the knowledge that both my co-hosts are not big fans or not very familiar with Shaka, she kind of operates an interesting place in the music industry where she's clearly a household name. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who has never heard of Shaka Khan, but 
you might find it kind of challenging to find people that really know much about her, know anything about her life story or importance, or maybe even any songs beyond I'm Every Woman and I Feel For You. Yeah, beyond those two songs, I know the Master Jam album because you gave me a copy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of good stuff here, you know, and Shaka often gets listed on like greatest singers of all time, but she's honestly one of those people that should be in the top five or top 10 of every one of those lists. And she's often, you know, more in the middle. So someone who has gotten some flowers, but really deserves to be credited as one of the absolute all-time greats top of the stack in my humble opinion yeah i mean if she's good enough for whitney houston to cover (laughs) yeah she was kind of uh one of the people that really guided whitney houston um shaka has long been a mentor to many young musicians throughout her career and whitney was one of the best that she worked with so for those that don't know Shaka and Rufus, multiple Grammy Award winners. They had a whole string of gold and platinum certified records. They were one of the biggest touring bands in the world at the height of their fame. Shaka has also been nominated to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, three separate times, but is yet to get in there, which, again, she gets credit, but just not enough. And some of the things that make her so interesting, we'll get into more of that as we go, but Shaka's, you know, a self-taught original. She's a very unique approach to the way she sings and the way she makes music. She's a very natural talent. She often talks about how when she's on stage singing, it's almost like she like blacks out and just like goes into this spiritual trance of singing and making music. And she kind of almost can't explain how she does it or where it comes from is just a gift that she's always had and has been working her entire life to improve it. Getting in that flow state. Mm-hmm. The ultimate flow state. The other thing that many people have commented on in listening to her vocal style and approach and what makes her unique is that she kind of sings more like a horn player than a typical vocalist. A lot of the choices in the runs and the way that she phrases things has really stood out to people. She was best friends with Miles Davis for a long time. And later in life, Miles left her one of his prized trumpets saying that she was one of the only singers he heard that could sound like his horn. I think we said the same of Billy Paul. I think he, and I think other people had said the same of his voice. Maybe he even said he was influenced more by horns than vocalists with his delivery. Interesting. Man, a duet record between Billy Paul and Shaka Khan, that would have been nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as we'll also kind of learn a little bit, Shaka Khan is someone who has lived a whole lot of different lives in the way that she described it. She has been through a whole lot of stuff. She is kind of full of contradictions. You know, she's a self-described recovering Catholic who was also oftentimes an unwilling sex symbol throughout her career. She's had to put up with a lot of abuse from family members and friends, record label, music industry in general, and is a true survivor. So yeah, that's that's my elevator pitch of why Shaka Khan is great. So if you guys don't mind, let's listen to another song for a little more proof, and then I'll get into uh, kind of an introductory bio for people and tell you about yeah. where Shaka comes from. Yeah, I'm ready. I know nothing about her. Play another song. I don't mind. 
<laughs> you don't mind. That's cool. <laughs> We're going to hear the song, Your Smile. This is side A, track four. noticed that Shaka is not only doing all the lead vocals on that, but doing all of her own background vocals as well. I did not notice. Mm. That's what's happening. According to Sean. That's what's happening. (laughs) According to Sean and the uh, credits on Discogs and watching interviews with Shaka, that was something she trained herself to do early on was overdubbing her own background vocals. And that's kind of one of her signature sounds. But yeah, a highly influential singer, as we've mentioned. Her singing style being so unique was something that nearly every soul diva after her was influenced by and learned some things from and imitated a little bit. You may have said already, but what year was this album? And was this her first album with Rufus? This is 1974, and this is actually her third album with Rufus. It's just a few months after their first hit record. The second one, Rags to Rufus, was a 
big surprise hit, so they rushed him back into the studio, as often happens. And the reason I picked this record, it was a really tough choice of all of the Rufus albums. And it, it was a tough choice first to decide whether I wanted to do a Shaka solo album or a Rufus and Shaka Khan album. Went with Rufus because I wanted to go with the earlier part of the career. And then it was tough to pick which one because there's a lot of records that are like certified classics with like really no bad songs on them. I think arguably their best record might be Rags to Rufus, but it's also the one that's, you know, creeping up past that $10 mark and has gotten a lot more press and accolades than other records. Whereas this one, as has been the case with many records we've covered before, since it was released so quickly after their big hit, it kind of got overshadowed. There was some hits on it, but they weren't as big as anything else. And then decades later, when you're looking at the huge catalog and, you know, most people are just looking for the two, maybe three records that they're going to talk about from the catalog. This one really never comes up. So fully underappreciated and I think kind of a minder masterpiece. There's no bad songs on this record. It's, I love this one along with many other things she did. Yeah. I wasn't clear on if she had been with Rufus from the beginning or if, if she joined on and feature, I guess I'm about to find out as you're, I think you said you were going to go into the bio now. <laughs> Sounds like it's time for you to find out. Let's start right at the beginning. Shaka Khan was born Yvette Marie Stevens on March 23rd, 1953. She grew up in a kind of middle-class neighborhood in Hyde Park in Southside Chicago, so kind of a, a little bubble in the middle of the rougher Southside housing projects of Chicago. Her parents were bohemians and civil rights activists. Shaka describes her father as a beatnik, and she was raised with a strong love of music, not necessarily musical family, but they listened to a lot of music. She gained a love of jazz from the records her father would play and gained a love of classical and other things. For example, Ima Sumac from her mother. Those were records that she grew up hearing around the house a whole lot. So wide range of influences and especially an influence of, you know, more daring and interesting singers that kind of adds to the, the, the musical gumbo <laughs> that made up Shaka Khan in the early days. Ugh, stop saying the gumbo. That's the second time this season already. That's the word of season five now. Peter has made it so. <laughs> you got to find a way to work it into the next episode, Jeremy. Every episode now. Gum gumbo. I'm banning that word from my episodes. You can try. I'm the editor. I can succeed. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Shaka was the eldest of four siblings, two of whom also became successful musicians. Mark Stevens, who was a founding member of the group The Jamaica Boys and was also a later member of the band Aura. And her sister, Taka Boom, was a member of Parliament at the height of their fame and then had three solo albums in the late 70s, early 80s, and later became a fairly notable house music star, Shaka and Taka. And none of the siblings had the same last name. Yeah, the, the last names came from uh, previous relationships for both sisters. But they just kept the last names throughout their career. Gotcha. Shaka was raised Catholic, going to both Catholic church on Sunday and being going to a Catholic school. So this is one of the rare artists that 
didn't really grow up singing in church. There was a choir, but we're not thinking of this as the same kind of Baptist gospel influence that is more common with a lot of the R&B type singers that we have covered on this show. So again, you know, having more of the Gregorian chant singing at church as an influence is a interesting influence from the straight gospel that we normally hear. It really makes for an interesting gumbo. (laughs) I wasn't going to do it, but you know, I approve. I approve Peter. I won't do it again, Jeremy. It won't be funny then. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't do the thing where you repeat it till it's not funny. And then you keep repeating until it's funny again. (laughs) This isn't going to be one of those. No, I'm just Pete, not repeat. Ooh, nice. We're totally throwing Sean off track here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and back to my notes. Uh, Shaka's parents divorced when she was a preteen, and her father eventually left and started a new family in Europe, which, from what I understand, was uh, pretty traumatic. Shaka was definitely had a, a close relationship with her father before that, so that was a tough one for her. So she kind of had a tumultuous young teenage years, possibly as a direct result of that, and I'm sure other things as well. But Shaka joined the Black Panthers as a teenager. It was around this time that she was given the name Shaka. This was done by a representative of the Yoruban faith, who I believe we talked about just slightly on the Exuma episode. But she was given kind of an African name. Shaka is just a the beginning of it. And that was at the age of 13. It's a common misconception that she took the name Shaka Khan to just sound more black in the Panthers and was given that by a member of the Black Panthers, but it is not quite true. Although they are related and we're at similar times. She quit the Black Panthers in 1969. And this, she has stated in several interviews, was kind of due to uh, the stress of being a part of it, but specifically she became the owner of a gun at some point in her early teen years. She was at a movie theater watching the film, the battle of Algiers for like the 10th time because her and all her friends were just going to see that movie on repeat to try and learn how to start a revolution. And a cop came into the theater and was just kind of being a dick and messing with some of the kids there. So her and all the other kids she was with jumped the cop and started beating on him. And during this altercation, she stole his gun and kept it for a while and was taking this stolen gun to the gun range and learning how to use it and training with it. And then just kind of had a moment of realization of like, man, I'm like 15 and practicing to either die or kill someone for this thing I believe in maybe I need to take a step back and think about what I'm doing with my life at this point. She said she was giving herself ulcers as a young teenager with just the stress of being involved in this whole situation. Yeah. It's in Chicago with the black Panthers, things were getting really severe in 1969. That's when the leader of that chapter, Fred Hampton was murdered. She was friends with Fred Hampton before he was murdered. So Yeah, she was a first-hand witness to how crazy things were getting at that point. Yeah, and a teenager. Yeah, yeah. One of the other factors in her quitting the Black Panthers was that they were kind of a famously male-centered ideology and often marginalized the voice and role of its female members. 
Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is, eventually, when all of the major male figures were either killed or imprisoned, and the women members took over, they started to have their biggest successes <laughs> as the Black Panthers. Yeah. It, it seemed like, in some ways, Shaka shied away from being too political after this point. I, I get the feeling that she went to such an extreme that she felt like she had to kind of go into the middle ground again. But it also explains why the lyrics are so much more interesting in her music than a lot of her contemporaries. Like, you know, she has been woke and politically active from a very young age, even if she didn't, you know, remain true to the cause, so to speak. And therefore is an interesting listen for Jeremy Ruggles. It's <laughs> this is all yeah, making sense now. Mm-hmm. Shaka dropped out of high school and also ran away from home at the age of 17. She began immediately playing around the local Chicago music scene, joining several bands, including one called the Shades of Black, who often collaborated with underground legends, the Pharaohs, some of the members of which went on to start Earth, Wind & Fire. She also joined a short-lived band called Life, L-Y-F-E, with notable Chicago soul musician Cash McCall and Gavin Christopher. Gavin, who went on to write multiple hits for Rufus, including the single off of this record that we are not actually featuring, Once You Get Started. Name of that song. She was offered to replace the singer Baby Huey in The Babysitters in 1970 after Baby Huey's untimely death. She was only in that band for a few months before they eventually dissolved. But due to this kind of local notoriety in these bands she was joining and connections she was making, she was offered to join the new group Rufus in 1971. Just a slight backstory on Rufus. Who are these guys? Where'd they come from? They actually began as a Chicago one-hit wonder group in the late 60s called The American Breed. Their big song, Bend Me, Shape Me, as referenced in my intro. Any way you want me. Yeah. That's the one. Not a very funky song. You wouldn't listen to that and think, no. boy, these guys are going to start a world-class funk band in a few years, huh? Yeah, no, I had no sense that that was the same people. <laughs> yeah. Part of that is due to uh, many, many lineup changes in the group over time. But the American Breed officially broke up in 1970, and several of the members decided to form a funk band. The American Breed was one of the rare 60s multiracial bands, so they want to kind of continue that and lean more into the funk direction that maybe they were starting to get interested in towards the end of the American Breed. They were initially called Ask Rufus, which was named after a newspaper advice column. They had a different lead singer initially, a woman named Paulette McWilliams. Shaka said that at that point, in the Chicago music scene, it was kind of fashionable for groups of young white men to get a black lead singer in the group. And she felt like Rufus was just kind of riding that trend, both with Paulette and then with her after that. Paulette quit Rufus in 1971 to go solo, and she opted to select her own replacement instead of leaving it up to the band. So she offered the position to her good friend, Shaka Khan, and the rest is history. Rufus's self-titled debut record came out in 1973 on ABC Dunhill, 
It's kind of a commercial disappointment, even though it was well-received and a little bit of a minor local Chicago area hit. And the band nearly broke up because they were not well-received. Then, as we said, second album comes out early 1974, Rags to Rufus, and becomes the launching point of their success. Thanks mostly to a Stevie Wonder written mega hit, Tell Me Something Good. Are you guys familiar with that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big hit. There's definitely a number of Shaka and Rufus songs that people are familiar with, but maybe don't know by name that that's who does it. Yeah, there were a few that seemed familiar when I was checking their stuff out. Yeah. We're going to get to another song in just a second here, but there's a great story from the first time Shaka met Stevie, and he was pitching these songs that he had written for them to play. First off, so they're coming off the, you know, the first record that wasn't a big hit, and she hears from her manager that Stevie Wonder's going to come over and pitch some songs, and she's just like, yeah, right, like you're pulling my leg. And then they show up at the studio, and who's sitting at the piano but the great Stevie Wonder. And he plays him a few songs that he's written, and Chaka just unthinkably, from her position, just straight up tells him, these aren't good, what else you got? Like, <laughs> I'm not into these. Wow. And... Stevie takes it in stride, asks her what her sign is. She tells him, he's like, okay, I got the song for you. And then plays him, tell me something good. It's their first big hit. (laughs) There are also, I should mention, apocryphal stories that Stevie gave them that song partially as a way to block show favorite Ray Parker Jr. from having a hit because Stevie was feeling a little salty from Ray leaving his band just before that. You know, I was trying to remember who it was. That's not the first time that someone has doubted Stevie Wonder is interested in them. And it was Ray Parker Jr. who Stevie Wonder (laughs) called and got hung up on several times, correct? Right, (laughs) because he thought it was a prank. Yeah. 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 That's a lesson to everyone out there. If if you hear Stevie Wonder is is interested in your music, it's probably true. Yeah, Shaka doesn't play and Stevie doesn't play. (laughs) Also, I'm a Capricorn Stevie, just keep that in mind. Yeah, when you're writing hit songs for the next Jeremy Ruggles album. Yeah. (laughs) So as I said, there was many lineup changes throughout Rufus's career, and by the time this album, their third album, came out, there was only actually one remaining original member of the American breed, keyboardist Kevin Murphy, and he was not even in the American breed when they had their big hit. He kind of signed on right at the end. So just barely functioning as the the same group that they started out as. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kevin was the kind of unofficial band leader of Rufus, and he's the only one that stayed in the band all the way up till 1983 when they officially broke up. I always thought Rufus was a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rufus was a guy writing an advice column in the newspaper and you could write him and ask for like dating tips or something, but not a guy in the band. Not who I thought he was. Nope. <laughs> so with that, let's hear another song. Shaka is famous for the feminist anthems. And this is kind of a, this wasn't a big hit or an anthem, but you can tell the direction that is going with her material from this. And it's a great underappreciated song. It's called I'm a woman parentheses i'm a backbone this is side b track one i'm a woman 
That's a song with a message that's all it's clicking together for me lyrically now, understanding Shaka's past and me recognizing, wow, these lyrics like have something to them. It's all uh, swirling together. Kind of like that crazy synth there. Yeah. I really liked that synth. <laughs> Yeah, the arrangement on that song is great. That is some like hard funk, some real like gut bucket kind of stuff going on there. That song feels like it could have been on a Betty Davis record, but yeah, it's great. I definitely got Betty Davis vibes when I was checking that out. Shout out to the guitarist and bass player on that record, Tony Maiden on guitar, Bobby Watson on bass kind of more recent additions to the band but they're killing it on that track and both of them collaborate a lot with billy preston another artist that is long overdue for his own episode from the beatles exactly the fifth beetle himself but he's so much more than that he is it took me years to realize that yeah talk about a catalog of underappreciated solo albums my god billy preston Coming soon, and I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Mark it down, Sean. Marking it down. Spreadsheet has been updated. So yeah, that's really all my notes on Shaka Khan for this one. There are so many places we could go <laughs> with understanding her more as a person, diving into the music that she made. We are definitely going to have to do another Shaka episode at some point, and I'll uh, read her autobiography before then and get even more information but uh listen to shaka khan listen to rufus there's some absolutely incredible material there even beyond the hits of which there are many yeah i first became aware of shaka khan when i was going through my initial prince phase when i was 19 or 20 and found i feel for you yes and i kind of was under the impression she was like one of his protégés or something. <laughs> um kind of more contemporaries and close friends and collaborators. 
and also, you know, fellow drug addicts. I saw that Prince's death had a big impact on her and kind of made her want to shape up some of her own bad habits a little bit. She is now a sober vegan and very health conscious, which is why mm-hmm. we are still get to enjoy the music and work and continued contributions of Shaka Khan today. Why you got to see Shaka Khan live just a few years ago. Exactly. I should mention, as I said I would, though, the the big hit, I Feel For You, huge hit. Everyone knows that song, and Shaka kind of hates it a little bit, or at least the Melly Mel intro that everyone knows. Shaka Khan. Pro tip, if you ever encounter Shaka Khan in real life, do not do a Melly Mel impression of the Shaka Khan intro, and I Feel For You, she fucking hates it and was sick of it the moment it was recorded oh no jeremy go back and like delete every time i've said <laughs> shaka khan's name that way <laughs> on the podcast when i i didn't i just did it oh my yeah. <laughs> everyone does it apparently like everyone comes up to her is like shaka khan shaka khan she's like you said it once you don't need to say it more than once but yeah, it was not her choice to put Melly Mel on that intro. It was the record label. She hated it when she heard it. She asked them to remove it. And they're like, no, this is a hit. It's important. This hip hop thing is going to be something. Just watch. But she also felt kind of weird because like she wasn't in control of what lyrics Melly Mel wrote. And he's kind of just like weirdly objectifying and hitting on her in the intro to her own song. And she just like was not cool with that. Not stoked about it. I do believe on our Jody Watley episode, we talked about how that was the first instance of a rapper on an R&B hit song. It was. It was uh, very influential, very notable for that reason, despite it being a source of pain for Shaka herself. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Shaka Khan, I, Shaka I won't Khan. ever do it again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lesson learned. That was learned. the sad final one for Peter right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, mm-hmm. did you have some time when you were figuring out all of this, how, the direction you were going to take talking about Rufus and Shaka Khan? Did you, by chance, put together a list of recommended further listening for our fans of the, I'd Buy That for a Dollar? Yes. Yes, I did, Peter. You'll be happy to know. Incredible. Do you want to tell us about it? You know what? Yeah, sure. All right. First one (laughs) from 1974, Cyrita doing Stevie Wonder Presents Cyrita. Another very underappreciated soul diva. And it's got the Stevie Wonder connection again. So great music. Incredible record. You can still find it for cheap. We've recommended it before. It'll be featured again. Just you wait. Yeah, that's sooner or later. We're going to be talking about that album. I just know it. Yeah. Peter, you included a song off that from your last mix, right? You got it. Patreon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next recommendation, Minnie Ripperton, one of our early features in season one, but I'm talking about the album Adventures in Paradise from 1975. Minnie was a contemporary of Shaka Khan, both from Chicago. Shaka looked up to her and admired her vocal talent. And Adventures in Paradise is a little bit more hard funk than uh, the one that we covered on the show. So it's a little closer to this sound. Not always a cheap record. Like if the record store knows what it's doing, it's going to be expensive. But I see that one in bargain bins kind of all the time still. 
if you keep digging. Yeah, it's, people still aren't hip to Mini Ripperton or the rotary connection. Yeah, just died too young and people forgot about her, it seems like. It's a shame. Next up, Mary McCreary, Butterflies in Heaven from 1973. Talk about underappreciated talent. Amazing record. She finally has her own Wikipedia page. Just, just recently, they finally gave Mary McCreary a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Gotta ride that. I'd buy that bump. You'd be a fool not to. <laughs> yeah. That was one of my favorite albums from last season that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Got my own copy now. And then bonus fourth recommendation, another album we've featured before, Aretha Franklin, Let Me In Your Life, also from 1974. As I mentioned, Aretha was just probably Shaka's favorite singer. Um, she has said so many good things about Aretha in interviews that I've listened to and really admires her work. And Aretha was a, a major influence, I mean, on everybody, but definitely on Shaka Khan. I know we're in the 200th episode because I, when he first said we covered that album, I was like, I don't remember doing that. Yeah. We talked about that with guest Greg Kaz. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. She covered, uh, Aretha Franklin did Leon Russell's A Song for You on that one. Okay. Yeah. The web grows ever richer. <laughs> yeah. Go back and listen to it, Jeremy. You might like it. I know you listened to it many, many times when you edited it, but uh, <laughs> it's been long enough. Seems now. like it's time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Sean, you are doing the bargain bin lord's work here, doing all this research and finding the time to find, <laughs> recommend a few other albums for people to check out. We should mention that uh, you can get more content on our Patreon, patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. We do bonus episodes. We do mixes at the $25 tier We'll send you records and a handwritten note. It's pretty cool if you want more content like what you're hearing. If you just can't get enough, of these, if these weekly episodes aren't enough for you, there's yep. more over at patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Of course, you can always check us out on social media, Instagram at I'd buy that podcast, Facebook, search I'd buy that for a dollar, or join the I'd buy that for a dollar Facebook group where you can post the records that you're finding out there for cheap. Do we have any final thoughts on Rufus or Shaka Khan before we tell them what we're going out on? No. That's all. So are you guys Shaka Khan fans now that you've been educated a little bit? Where do, where do you stand? Do you feel interested? Do you want to dig into more? <laughs> I mean, I feel like she's someone that I knew I needed to learn more about for a long time and for whatever reason hadn't bothered, but you have piqued my interest. You, you've convinced me that it's worth spending the little amount of time I would have to invest in putting out a master jam that you gave me more often <laughs> and looking for <laughs> these other records while I'm out there. So yeah, I, I'd say I was already at least a fan of like the very little I knew about her, but there, now I'm impressed. There's a lot more to her. I will say for, for you guys and for any fans who are in a similar position where you haven't dove into the Shaka discography and want to check more stuff out, like I said, check out Rags to Rufus, the one that came out just a few months before this, but 
specifically check out 1977's Ask Rufus, one where they titled an album off their initial band name. But that one's kind of the true fan favorite, and I almost picked it, but it's a bit of a departure from the sound they were famous for. It's a little more ballad-heavy, but the arrangements on it are just intense, and the lyrics are great. It's very interesting. It's a very mature, kind of sophisticated funk-type record, and uh, that is Questlove's favorite of the Shaka and Rufus catalog, if that helps sell it for anybody. (laughs) If it's good enough for Questlove... It's good enough for me. That's what I live by. Yeah, he's always saying that. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, I think that's it. Until we do another Shaka episode later on, that's that's all we got for today. Well, what did you select to go out on? We are going to go out on the last song on the record, Stop On By. Stop On By. I'd buy that for a dollar next week. For more content. (laughs) More content. What a (laughs) (laughs) tie-in. Well, with that, we uh, say farewell. I am co-host Peter Cook. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm co-host Sean Hartman.